Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Puzzling Company. As always, I am Jared, and with me... It's Zach. Zach, good to have you here today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. What's going on with you? Ah, uh, not much. I um, started... Well, okay. I've only been once. So I don't want to say I'm a expert rock climber. I went to a climbing gym with a good friend, started doing that, tried it out. It was a lot of fun, um, but I've been doing that and started a diet, trying to get more in shape. Be nice. I know that there's one creator right now that's literally so excited that you just said that. Really? Yes. That's funny. When I become a professional athlete at rock <laughs> climbing, I'm excited to post all about that. Let's get it. I love it. What are we getting ourselves into today, Zach? If you could just give us a brief. It's, I don't know if it's small. It's, it's important. It's our legacy. Ooh, our legacy. Uh, and the game we are discussing is Legacy from Argix. Yep. I think is how you say that. Yes. Um, games. Our um, French accent is terrible. Yes. Please ignore anything I say if I say anything in French. <laughs> Other than wee uh, wee. Oui, oui. Which is probably not said correctly either. Correct. It's yes. Okay. Well, before we butcher the French language collectively, let's take a break. We'll be right back. All right. Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? What soup? Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join Soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. As we mentioned before the break, we are talking about a game called Legacy. Zach, what are people getting themselves into when they want to play Legacy? What is the format of this game? What's it like? Lay on us a, a good overview. Yeah, no, um, it's a great question. So how Legacy works... Um, is when you open up, you'll get an introductory letter that will kind of explain how this game will be played. The story behind it is that you are a child of this person who has passed away who left in their will this adventure for you to go on to get the inheritance or to get your legacy. The game is for you as well as to explain why there's a French and a English version. If I'm not mistaken, you are meeting up with one of your other brothers or sisters, so that makes that connection easier, which I found that kind of cool. So you're basically meeting up with someone else that you haven't seen in a long time, and you're trying to make the goals that you will get closer as the game goes on, as well as the adventure that yes. will ensue. But yeah, the game, you kind of open it up. You'll get two different games. Um, they'll tell you to play one first and then one second um, to let you know what those are. The first game that is in there is called Eiffel. So just to be clear, you're buying Legacy, but you're getting two games inside of it? That is correct, okay. yes. Inside the box will be two games that are part of the overall experience that is Legacy. Got One you. being Eiffel, um, and the other being... Hellas. Hellas, that is correct. And then the game does a really good job of kind of explaining how you'll go from there. Yeah, and the, the part of... In part one, you're trying to figure out the who, and then in Hellas, it's the where, right? If, is that correct? Like, those are... Yeah, you're, you're generally trying to figure out more of, like... You're trying to narrow down a lot of information, like yes. where it is, kind of the general idea, and then you go there, and then it's more about getting closer and closer and more specific to finding the treasure. It's a really cool concept. It is fun to open up a box and to see, oh, we've got multiple games to play. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how Unlock gives you now like three in one. Yes. And you just, it feels like you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. I don't know. I like it. And mm -hmm. it's a natural break point. I yeah. feel like we should talk about that too. But here in the first section, we always talk about what we really enjoyed about the game and where we felt like there was room for improvement. So kind of the format of how we're going to do this today is we're going to talk about overall for the legacy experience, what we liked, and then we're going to go into each section, Eiffel 1889 and Hellas to talk about where we felt like there was room for growth and what we really liked about it. So Zach, kick us off overall for legacy as an experience. What did we really like about it? Yeah, we really liked the signposting in this game. 
I think this is one of the best games we've ever played when it came to signposting. Totally agree with you. Uh, the game literally tells you exactly what item goes to what by indicating in your introductory letter that it gives you your overall objectives by basically putting them in order. Like, you need to do this, and then you want to do this. This right. is the information you need to gather before the game ends. Well, there's a symbol. Correct. That's the other. Well, that's not. Yeah. Part yeah. one is that it just tells you what your goal is. You, it tells you what your goal is, and then you have a linear order. Yes. And then there's a symbol for every single puzzle. And then every puzzle that is related to that step of the puzzle or has, of the game has the symbol on the items. You may be sitting here going like, uh, that doesn't sound much fun. No, it was fantastic because they also do a really good job of creatively hiding the signposting. Yes, it's in some of them, they're a lot of them they're pretty creatively put in there. And there's some that you can kind of tell instantly like that's just to, sure. to make clear that like that's involved with that. But a lot of them, the theming of the game, it fits in so well that it doesn't feel like, okay, there's just a star on this because there's a star, right? Right. Like, it's clearly like, oh, if this is a, like, the hint wants you, like, all the items that have Eiffel Towers on them are part of the same clue. Yes. Like, the Eiffel Towers hidden well enough that you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, I found that pretty quickly, but it didn't feel like it's just, like, shoehorned symbolism in there. You know no, what I mean? I agree. And that's what makes this game so much fun is you know, okay, oh, this symbol's here and this symbol's here. These things must go together. And then there's another layering of puzzling to go with it. Mm -hmm. And the puzzles there and after weren't just like, oh, well, yeah, thanks for giving it all away. It wasn't like that. It was, there's a lot of physical items, paper items, different things that you're trying to cover. And you needed that connection. And that's what good signposting does. It says, go this way. This is where you need to look for your thing. Then when you get there, okay, cool. Now I need to make another connection, work through a process, whatever the puzzle may be. And that worked really well. I have to self-incriminate myself here that I didn't pick up on it when we were playing Eiffel. And Zach had to be like, pop me on the head a couple times and be like, hello. And I was like, dang, that was a real bad miss on my part. It was pretty funny. Actually. But by the time that we made, but then you learned that so that by the time that you got to Hellas, it was like, yeah, we, we, no issue with we blade. I think we beat the second part of this game in like 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah, I think the average, and I, I think most game, I think both games are anywhere from like 60 minutes to two hours, depending on the game. And I think the second game is supposed to be shorter yes. by a little bit. Um, but yeah, because we had played the first one and understood a lot of it, the second game was a lot quicker. Right. And, and that's, it feels like humble brag moment. Usually that's your area of expertise. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, but I think it's like really good because you taught me your system in the first game and now I'm adept to it in the second game. Yep. That's great. Puzzle building, game building. I want to break down each game. What did we really like about Eiffel 1889, which is the first part? We really liked the time period aesthetics. Ooh, it was good. Yeah. I mean it, the, I loved that everything felt like it was 1889. Like the puzzles felt like they fit in really well. It was masked well to fit into that time era there were puzzles that were really well done that made that looked legitimately like they were from 1889 it felt like nothing in this game was out of that time period like it all was authentic even the digital components yeah there was and in this game there are digital components like you got to watch this really you got to look at old pictures and old and like old video like and that was intriguing and like audio it it was just all very aesthetic aesthetically pleasing yes if you're a film buff out there you'll enjoy some of the uh, the history yes. that comes with this time period in this specific country, which Eiffel, France, I think we're all well aware of this. And what? side note, this game is really cool, and I like this because it's one game, and you can play it in French or English. Yes. Which is really cool. Like, imagine any instruction manual that you pick up to build those horrible IKEA things at home. It's got all the languages there. Yeah, you're ready to go. If you speak French or English, this is a great game for you. The creator's French. It makes sense. I love that though. But mm -hmm. there were a couple times where I was like, "Are we supposed?" To? And then I was, and then I had to be like, "Nope, just flip it to the other, flip it to the other side, Jared." It's in English. I supposed to understand French? Am now? I supposed to understand? Nope, flip it to the other side, Jared. Get it going. But I, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with the time period meets the area of the world that we were supposed to be in. It was really cool. I really, really liked that about Eiffel. What did you like about Hellas, the second part of the game, or the second game? The sec yeah, the second game being Hellas. I really liked the meta puzzle. I did too. I think the meta puzzle was my favorite part of the game. The game overall was a good experience, but the meta puzzle just fed so well. I don't want to spoil the meta puzzle. 
Because you very easily could. Correct. But it has a really fun element that I didn't expect. Like we are doing it and on a lot of it's like self-contained in its own category. Like in terms of like everything's kind of like told to you what goes with what. And then when you get to the meta puzzle, it kind of, I wouldn't say throws that out the window, but it's more on you to figure out everything. And that's kind of like a fun departure from how the rest of the game played. Yes. And it goes, okay, like how are you supposed to figure this out? And then part of it does require things that you did in the game. But then the other half goes like, it's on you to figure this out. Like what could go with that? Yes. And I will say also just a side note that some of the puzzling in this game does require outside knowledge. You can look up information. You can look up information or there are some coding sections where you may need to know. It's not like unpopular types of coding, but you may need to do some research on that you just may not know. Yeah. So let's, let's transition now to talk about where we felt like there was some room for improvement. So let's start with our overall experience. I felt like, and I don't know if you agree with this, that this game had what I call in the escape room world, second room syndrome. Yeah, I get what you mean. And what, and for those of you that don't know what I mean is if you are playing a multi-room escape room, especially if it just has two games, you start in point A, you're working to point B. My personal opinion and feeling on this game is that point B at a minimum has to match puzzling and aesthetics as much as it did in room one. If it's a smaller room, if it is just like has less items or there's less to do in that second room, that's a miss for me. And I felt like this game did that. To me, Eiffel was the stronger game on so many different levels. And by the time that we got to Hellas, the puzzling, the narrative was a bad example of a second room syndrome in escape rooms. Agree or disagree with that? I agree. I, it's funny. I, I think we discussed this, but I think if we would have played them flipped, I would have appreciated Hellas more as a beginning game. A hundred percent. Because it would have gave me still the same introductory part of like getting the narrative, but then also like having an understanding of how the game plays. And it's like a little bit shorter to get like a better grasp and then jump into the bigger game that was Eiffel in this scenario. Um, the narrative would have to change a little bit to fit both of those right. But I think we would have appreciated Hellas more if it's it, like I said, it's the thing of second room syndrome or like playing it or it's the thing when you play other like a, like at home puzzle games and you play one and then you play the other and you're like, oh, if I would have played that one first and then played that one, I would have probably like absolutely liked it more because I know what that one played like. That Absolutely. one now, unfortunately, pays a little bit for it. Like, and all we're saying is Hellas is not a bad game. No. That's not, not what we're saying. But we're saying is you're building anticipation, narrative, quality of the game and the environment. I feel led in that. So as I'm creating a game, I want to give you a simpler building experience in round one and then really give you more content and excitement once you reach the second part of the game. So again, I felt like flip it and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Was there anything in Eiffel that we felt like there was some room for improvement? Not really. Um, I think Eiffel played really well. I will say though, if we had to talk about like another room for improvement, it wouldn't really be for Eiffel, but probably be for Hellas. Okay. I think it's probably the puzzle difficulty flow. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so in this game, the very first puzzle is kind of difficult. It's not like insanely difficult, but compared to some of the puzzles that come after it, it leads off with like this really strong puzzle that's like pretty difficult, but it's like pretty good. But you you do it, and then the next few puzzles are like quick and simple comparatively to the very first puzzle where we're like, oh, there's a lot going on in this. Oh, we have to like look at this way. Oh, we have to do this. Now we have to write this down. Now we have to do this like part of a process puzzle and then finish it. And then immediately after that, it's like, oh, do this. Oh, we did it. All right, answer in. Oh, we did this. Now put answer in. It, it felt like we didn't get an early win in terms of like a very simple puzzle to lead you into it. And it started off with like one of its more difficult puzzles instantly. Yes. And then you're like, and then after that, you're like, okay, now the puzzles are like pretty simple until we get to the end again. Right. I'm a firm believer in either two types of puzzle difficulty flows. And we've talked about these before. One of them is kind of the bell curve. And the other one is like the continuous rise. Mm -hmm. And some examples of those games, if you play anything by the Wild Optimist, they are the poster childs for this type. They love to build your confidence. And then you hit 
that hard puzzle mid-game, and then you kind of, gravity brings you back down, and you finish with kind of a sweet, simple finish. Games like the ASMPC, when we played Moodus Markings, that game from the get-go to the last puzzle constantly increases in difficulty. Mm -hmm. I think there are valid arguments for both of those. I like both of those styles. Mm. What I do not like is <laughs> getting hit in the stomach with the first puzzle, and then that sets my tone for what I think is coming after it, and then finding puzzles that we just breeze through. It doesn't make sense to, to lead that way. There needs to be a reordering of puzzle flow in terms of difficulty moving forward or puzzle times. I'm personally a believer in those other two. Hit me with a bell curve or hit me with a continuous rise to the very end. I can work within those, but I don't like coming out with big guns or long process puzzles and then finding my ways through easy connections or puzzles that have limited time frames. Mm -hmm. So Hellas could benefit from a simple reorganization because again, you've done such a good job in Eiffel 1889 of teaching us signposting that by the time we get to Hellas, we're ready to rock and roll. Like clearly yeah. this goes with this. I've grouped all of these together. This is going to go together. And then we, like I said, it felt like we climbed the mountain, the first puzzle, and then just rode a slide the rest of the way until we got to the meta puzzle, yeah. which did require some more. So it almost felt like a, it was almost an inverse bell curve. It was like we did a U. Yeah. We started hard and then it got really easy. And then near the end we had one and we climbed back up. And that was that was a miss for me. Mm. Yeah. Agree or disagree with that. I agree. It's it's uh time and art and the science of these things prove that bell curve or rising is the way to go. Mm -hmm. But overall, um, I think this is a really cool concept and it was an enjoyable game for us. Yeah, I enjoyed all of it. We really liked the game as a whole. I think we liked Eiffel a little bit more, obviously, than Hellas. But yeah. like I, I would recommend playing both. They're fun. Well, cool. Well, if you buy Legacy, you'll get to play both anyways. Yes, if but, you buy Legacy, you buy but they're they're both worth playing, obviously. They're yes, fun. Absolutely. And this was a this was a game that we actually got off of Kickstarter fulfilled and that you can buy now as well. So yeah. be able to check that out. That's gonna wrap us up for our first section. We have puzzles of the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. <sighs> I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room-style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. Well, welcome back um, to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is Puzzles to the People. In this section, Jared asks me questions. Yeah. That, you're, that you're not ready for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, he'll ask me questions in this section. It always usually ends up being a topic that is around the game that we played. Um, or we cover sometimes like people's reviews or like things they've left on like different websites. We can kind of look at it, their quotes, stuff like that. Uh, but Jared, what question do you have for me today? I want to talk to you today about games that are dually analog and digital. Okay. Because we've run into games that lean more one way or the other, but I feel like legacy is a really good example of games that gave us a lot of tangible, mm. but also gave us a lot of digital. And I kind of just want to open up a dialogue with you about the, what you think about the fusing of that, because the truth about where these games are at in the tabletop world is they're not video games, yep. but they're not board games, mm. but sometimes they are both. And I feel like, creators more than video games or more than tabletop games 
have a world of places and formats and different things that they can pull from. But I don't want to get into another format conversation. I really want to talk into about the intersection of digital meets the tangible analog things that we have in front of us. Okay. What did you think about that intersection in the, the legacy game that we played? Yeah. And legacy, I thought it was well done in Eiffel 1889. I thought it was super well done. Like um, the website's used as like an answering key for part of it. Um, but has like the hint system in it. When you solve certain parts, you gain you, you gained uh, <laughs> new information. Um, Zach's going British. <laughs> yes. Spot on. Uh, spot on. Um, but yeah, you gain new information. Um, some of it was video. Some of it was more like text. You know, some of it was audio. Um, but it was really cool because it felt like we would interact with that. And it had, it almost felt like there was a lot of interactability on the, like on the digital aspect. But then you really, you had to use the tangibility and the stuff that you had in person to play into it. So they fed off each other really well. They like, they synced. Like I would get information I needed from the digital aspect and it was fun to interact with. And then I would be able to use it with the stuff I had in person. Yes. And have that really work together. And and then in Hella, it, it felt the same. There was a lot of elements that the online part was really good and played into the into the solving of the physical stuff and some of the physical stuff you needed the online to do. Like they, they played really well off each other that I felt like at many points I needed both and they were both well done. I agree. In terms of like complimenting each other. I agree. I struggle with games that just use a little bit of one. It, it, Cause sometimes it feels like, at least in my opinion, it's not needed depending on the game. Like right. if I play a game and it's 99% in person and then for one tiny part, it goes, okay, look up this thing on the internet. Then I'm like, right. Why don't you just give me that information? Right. Or even games like I'll throw out a couple that felt 99% digital, but felt like 1% analog. Like two episodes ago, we had USB escape. Mm. That was one that I thought actually was done well because it moves you from analog into digital and then doesn't really come back. Yeah. But then like ASPMC mm-hmm. has one print off. Yep. And that we love that puzzle, but it was kind of like But it could have been online. Oh, I don't know if that puzzle could have been online. You maybe. I if you would that, that's hard. But but it's, it, but it, there are games like that where it feels like it could have been adopted differently to just fully been on one platform. And in some games it it could. I mean, but like I said it's a creative argument. Like there are games that I think having that one physical aspect when it's fully digital works. Right. And then some it doesn't. It just has to make sense, I think is the biggest thing. Give me give me some some areas where you feel like it makes a lot of sense to have a digital component to your game. If I'm turning you into creator Zach, you're saying this is what digital gives me that I may need. This is why I should use it. What are you leveraging digitally? Depending on the game, I think you can tell stories narrative really well because you can create videos i mean photos you can you can put into the physical game sure Um, but videos can be really cool like i know we've played a few games where digital was used for kind of an answering key but then like the narrative was mostly played either through like the opening letter and some of the stuff you found but then like a lot of it was like the ending was played through a video that you watch yes right like um example i'm going to use for this is like witchery spell like witchery spell has online elements that you definitely have to do for puzzles. So I'm not saying it's like 1%, but in that game, like the ending having a visual is like super rewarding. So having like, I can imagine games where it's mostly that. And then you have one part online. It, oh, cold case crackers. Yes. That's one I could think of that has a digital aspect that I really liked that it felt minimal to a degree that a lot of it's in physical, but then you had like narrative things you had to look up online on their website but then at the end the the video or like the audio things that play into it were like really beneficial to making those more um, impactful in terms of narrative yes so i think doing things like that it can be really good online lets you do things you can't do physically which like videos in person unless you're gonna send me an ipad or here's a laptop <laughs> the greatest at home puzzle mystery game hey, we get any, a, we get an ipad in the mail if, if, if some company wants to send me an ipad to watch their videos on Hey, I'll, I'll take it. I don't want to know what the price tag attached okay, to don't, that game don't, is going okay, to I want it for free, of course. I want for, uh, reviewer copy, right? Re, yeah. yeah, reviewer copy. Yes, uh, it's so interesting that you went narrative because in my mind, I was thinking puzzle. 
because okay. I, because I think one of the greatest advantages, and we talked about this a little bit in the middle section of another episode, but the uniqueness of inputs that you're allowed to have. Yes. Like you limit yourself. I think, I think you have more opportunities in the digital world than you do in the analog world to create unique ways to, to solve things. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, cause what we're so accustomed to for a lot of the games that we play in the analog world, like our subscriptions, it's like, don't open this envelope until you give me a seven letter world word. Yeah. We're familiar with that or a four digit combination, but in the digital world, it can do cool things. Things can move. Things can activate. Yes. You give yourself more puzzling exits. Yeah. And I think that's where one of the big, I'm not just, dis- I, I totally agree with you. There are some narrative plays there as well, but for me, it, I'm looking at it and I kind of salivate a little bit thinking about like all of the cool things that we can do. And we've seen that in a lot of the great games with some of the, our favorite companies that use the digital to give us really unique solves. Oh, agreed. And I love that a lot. So now let's flip it. What are you getting in the analog world more so than that you're getting in the digital world? Because there were some great analog solves in Legacy that we played today as well well, that I really enjoyed. So flip it now. When you look at games, what are you seeing as some of the advantages of like the pure tabletop? Hmm. I mean, tangibility is huge. Like, being able to actually interact with it. Because there's the difference between, like, seeing something online and being like, oh, okay, like, that's a cool, like... I almost want to say, like, the point-and-click adventure games or, like, point-and-click escape room-style games where you're like, okay, this is a cool aesthetic, but I'm just clicking right. this lock. When it, when I can get a real lock and it's in front of me on, my, on our desk and I can try to solve it and there's all these really cool papers that aesthetically fit in, like, I would say immersiveness... Yes. Is easier to do at times in person. Yes. Because I feel like if I have those things, it's more real than just seeing it all online. I think online can help with that by making videos and other like things make it feel real when you get like a video from someone else that's on your project, right? Let's say you're working for an organization and they call us and they have this thing, or it's like a, you know, um, let's say it's like a a certain game we've played where at the end of it, you find out uh, the bad guys won and has taken a person that you've been working with hostage or whatever, and you're like, oh, crap, this got more real than it already felt. And I, But I think tangibility is just huge. I think feeling and being able to actually interact with objects just is so rewarding um, compared to online games. Yeah, I totally agree there. I don't think in my lifetime we're going to get to the point of technology where you can be- make me believe that something is that's not real or that's digital is tangible. Yeah. I feel like we're that's where we're heading, right? Mm-hmm. But like for where we yet. for where we live now, I want to hold the journal in my hand and feel it and flip through the pages and hear the pages flip mm-hmm. and do that versus reading it. It's almost the debate of like, well, would you rather read a tangible like a, a paper book or do you like e-reader? Not trying to go down that. I think there is something valuable. Last episode, we talked about Legend Game of Maps. That is a different game and not as good of a game if that's all on my computer screen. Correct. I don't know many people that would disagree with me on that. Like, you buy that game because you want to hold those maps. You want to hear the crinkleness. You want to see the burnt edges. And it's believable, right? Like, the, the, the tabletop world... It makes it believable. And then there's just certain types, again, there's certain types of puzzles that just you can't do, right? It's 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 the same argument, but just for the different thing. Yep. Like I'm thinking some of the solves that we did in, I don't know, Soup or yep. in Runes of Odin, there's a similar solve. There's stuff that we did in this game that inv- I don't want to spoil too much that involves lighting. And that is like, oh, like that's cool. That's that's like really, been really done cool. On, some of those could have been done online, but then it takes away the, the fun right. of what it is. It takes away it takes away the fun. I think also when it comes to creators, I think a lot of them put really a lot of love into what they build. Yes, digital and in 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 person. But I, like like we talked about like Legend of Game Maps, like I could have seen that same map on a computer screen. And it looked burned, but I wouldn't care. Like to see that someone like by themselves handcrafted this map that looks 500 years old and is burnt and feels authentic 
is more pleasing than staring at a screen that has the same map. Well, but but then Zach, why why are so many people playing World of Warcraft and not LARPing? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, that's a great question, Jared. I don't know. I, I think it comes down to like what can do things better, right? Fireballs make more sense in World of Warcraft than me yelling fireball. Then you yell fireball and throwing your red cloth tennis ball at my head. That's fair. You know, I, I think what we're saying is figure out what works best for what you have and don't be afraid to look at something like you said, like a picture. You can do a picture on a computer. You can do a picture in, in sending it to me. What works better for the narrative and immersion of your game? Because we've played a lot of games and I think there have been some things where I've thought that would play a lot better digitally mm. or that would play a lot better with me holding it in my hand. And, uh, and I think we're trying to figure out and have those conversations with creators and say, like, really think about that. Like, really, really think about that. I know personally, and I talked about this with a creator just yesterday. I said the thing that I have learned the most from really deep diving into the at-home puzzle and mystery world is I have a very strong perspective now on puzzles that belong in an escape room versus puzzles that belong in an at-home and mystery game. Mm -hmm. I think that there are intrinsically some puzzles that you do customers a disservice by putting them in a, an escape room. They could be sitting at home and enjoying that just fine. Well, yeah, like escape rooms have to be like, I think you would agree with this. They have to be very tangible and big. Yes. The scale, in my opinion, is is something we do not do enough of in escape rooms. And I understand why, because that gets expensive. Oh, yes. We're talking dollars. But there are so many just like word puzzles that happen in escape rooms. If I have to do a Sudoku puzzle in the middle of an escape room, or, or, I will or, actually punch Or like uh, th there's just some puzzles that I'm just like, you didn't have enough time or something and you put that in there. And sometimes it's the same thing in the at home world, right? Oh, agreed. Yeah. Right. Like you shoehorn something in or you didn't have the right puzzle and you settled on this puzzle. But when we're looking at digital versus analog, I think we can ask ourselves a lot of questions of does this belong? Mm -hmm. Is this the right place? I want to end this middle section on something pretty cool. Uh, cause I want to, I, I want, I love talking well about creators. I want to speak good. So I want us to go think digital and then think analog and without any spoilers, shout out some of our favorites. I think that would be fun. That's interesting to show some love. So I think of your top three analogs oh, geez. and your top three digitals and it, and let's, let's shout those out. It can be puzzle or narrative, but that's hard. Let's 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 do that. Okay. So Zach, I want you to start. Okay. Give me your digital list, and then I'll do mine, okay. and then I'll start physical, and you can come back at me. Okay. All right. So without saying too much, give me some of your digital standouts. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So my first I'm going to talk about is actually Maddox Lost Treasure from Society of Curiosities. I really enjoyed the digital aspects of that game. Some of it I thought was so real that I didn't think it part it was part of the game, which was hilarious in time. Um, but then also there are like video elements and music elements. There's specifically a song that Jared will tell you that I still sometimes sing to this day that I remember of that game because of how much I liked it. Um, but it was just a really well done game where the digital aspects just were just the icing on the cake. Like they were perfect compliments to the game as a whole. Um, my second one I'm going to say is actually Wish You Were Here series, mm. um, which is funny because when you think of that series, you get a bunch of postcards. Yeah, it's mostly physical. And That's surprising. Yeah. But the online aspect of the puzzle hunt was really fun to, for me to deep dive and try to think about like looking for that information I needed to help solve it. But then also the narrative that plays around the Wish You Were Here and specifically the videos that play into it were really cool at the time. Like, cause I felt like I was doing these super difficult puzzles to solve this narrative. And then I'd get a video rewarding that. And the videos were always like really enticing of like what's coming next. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And then my third one is Space Corp. Oh yes. Um, I really enjoyed the answering system in that game as well as there was a lot of fun digital aspects that really played into it. I think that's a great list. I'm going to, I'm going some different directions. When I think of like some of the most creative solving mechanisms that I've seen digitally, I go 
Society of Curiosities, but Posey Ring okay. had some of my favorite digital solves in it. And along that same line, in that same category, I would say ASPMC. There's a puzzle in there that I just love that took me by surprise that was very digital. Um, I love that. The next one I would talk about is just the overall experience in CU Adventures, whether we're talking Lost Temple or Floor 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they've just built a world and a system. It's so cool. It's so cool. And it just works so well, even though there's physical, again, that's a great physical digital element combination game, but the, the digital elements in there, whether it's the music or what you're looking at or your inventory system, like, oh, it's just so good. I, I think of Lost Temple a lot and Lost Temple had one of my favorite character introductions in that game. Yes. That is purely digital. Which yes, was- purely digital. That's a great point. I would say a lot of our best characters have been digital. There's been a lot of good ones. There's been a lot of great. We have not met where, because uh, a lot of our physical, we have to meet through their writing. We don't get to meet them directly. Yeah. If you want to send a character to our office to come <laughs> be part of the game, that's great. <laughs> the last one I would say, and this is something we haven't had on the show yet okay. that we're working towards that we would love to have the creators of Unlock on our show. But if you've played any number of Unlocks, especially the later seasons, there's a machine function Yes, on the, on the app. app. Yep. And I love that machine function. Oh, the, the app's so well done. I love it. Yeah. And they're, the way that they leverage that differently through every single game, I always get excited when we get a machine card and oh, we get to punch the number in. So cool. so cool. Freaking love it. Those would be some of my digital standouts for what we've played so far. I'm going to go physical first, okay? Yep. First one on my physical list is Conundrum Box. I love their puzzles. And not just their puzzles, but the way that they leverage the physical items that sometimes they give you. And sometimes it's just paper. But I, I looked up at my wall as we were putting this list together, and I still can't get away from the puzzle that we got in, what was it? Uh, Maui's Curse? Maui's Curse and the Greek-themed game. Yes. The name eludes me at the moment. But there's a puzzle in each of those that they're so tangible, they're so wonderful that I had the biggest smile on my face that I almost snatched away from you because I was so excited when we were playing. That's true. That, that's, that's one of my physical standouts. The other one is Witchery Spell. Dadgummit, I freaking love the physical solves in that game so much. I Again, some of them are right over my computer. I look at them often and I say to myself, Heiss, you brilliant brilliant man from the Netherlands. Like you just made some awesome puzzles in here and they just give you small manipulatables that fit so well into the story and into the experience and the puzzle itself that follows. It's just super great. And the last one that I would say is the messenger getting to hold that old journal to mess around with all of the stuff that you get in the box. I think you're going to mention another game that we haven't played yet in that, but that type of experience is just uncommon and to get to manipulate those objects just makes it makes me believe it. Like it, it, it creeps me out a little bit too. Like it's just really, really cool to see those things. What's on your physical list? The first one I actually cover is uh, Escape the Rooms, the Cursed Dollhouse. Ooh, yeah. I really enjoyed the physical space that you get to create with the game with having like an actual set. But then all the puzzles being physical around that space to play into it. So you build sure. up things and move things in the in the dollhouse. And then you had the book that played into it more and had like the narrative and the creepy aspect of that book as it ever evolved. And it's funny to me because like break in is like the same creators. Yes. Yes. It's all. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah. My next one is going to be Legend of Game of Maps. Uh, We just talked about that recently. uh, Last episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, But gosh darn, if I don't love those maps and all those physical elements, the letters and everything in it, it was just so well done. And then my final one is another one that we've not covered on the show, but you've heard me talk about multiple times as well as we have an ad for it, um, <laughs> is Root of All Evil. I am so excited to eventually talk about that game on the show. And I, I think we've said already that it will be hopefully here at the very beginning of the next year. I'm going to spoil it. We have confirmation that the first episode of our second season or second year, our first episode of January is Angela coming back on the show. She's going to be our technically our second return guest. Jack Fallows snuck in there with Light in the Mist, but Angela's coming back and we're going to be talking some Root of All Evil. Jared will tell you and anyone who's listening to this podcast, I love that game so much. The narrative is so well done, but then the physical creepy aspects of all the things that are in that nailed shut box 
are just so well done, and I loved every second of it, even to the point that a mysterious person mailed me telling me new information that I'm scared to see where it goes, but I'm very excited. And if there are other good ones out there, we just made quick lists of what came the top of our mind. Oh, there's looking at our wall. Yeah, there's there a are lot. so many. Those are a lot, but those are some of the standouts that we thought of. And we're always trying to give and shout out some love to creators that we think are just doing a fantastic job. But that's going to wrap us up for puzzles to the people. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box, too. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up Box 1. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson-Scott to ship you a copy internationally. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section of the show called Questions for Creators, where we get to meet awesome people who make these games. So today with us, we have one of the creators of Argix, and we're excited to get to meet them, to get to know them, and ask them some questions. So let's jump right in. So can you tell us your name, your background before you were involved with games, and a little bit about yourself leading into the games that you have created? So my name is Mathias Daval. Uh, I'm from uh, Paris, France, and I'm the founder of uh, Argix Games, uh, which is a board games uh, company. So my background, as far as... Uh, Games are, are concerned. I'm, uh, I've always been uh, a fan of uh, all kinds of games, actually, and I've, I've actually designed games as uh, as far as I can remember when I was a child. So it's a uh, it's a very uh, old uh, hobby of mine. And um, I come. I have um, a, a background of uh, in journalism. And my my main work is uh, as it has been for the past twenty years or so. Uh, journalism and more uh, especially uh, uh, cultural journalism. I'm I'm a theater critic and uh, yeah, mostly for the last last five or six years I, I I'm a performing arts uh, critic. So that's my that's my main it remains my my, my main activity. But um, about three yeah, pretty much three years ago, I I created with a friend uh, Argix. Um, we we felt like like um, it was. Um, there was a need for um, a new kind of uh, investigation games, which was a kind of game that we, we loved a lot. And uh, we were both fond of escape games uh, and, you know, kind of mystery puzzles and that kind of games. So, but we, uh, it was, it was, I, it was in two, actually in 2017 and it was the really, um, the beginning of the of the um, of the market for that kind of games uh, for investigation games like Unlocked uh, was just released and uh, uh, but in France there was not that many uh, that many games that many uh, investigation games and uh, we wanted to do something more realistic uh, like escape games but you can play at home and uh, now it's pretty I mean it's pretty uh, common and you have a lot of ver various. Uh, uh, escape game in a, in a box or escape boxes, uh, however you want to to call them. But uh, at the time, there was not that many, and uh, so our idea was to create games that would be that would mix storytelling, uh, which is really the most important thing for us, is really to tell a story. And uh, all our games try to really uh, rely on, uh, on on a strong storytelling. So storytelling is the first thing. Then there is investigation, of course, with all kinds of, of puzzles and, and as various as possible. And also another two other elements which are very uh, characteristic of our games are uh, we wanted to include not just paper, like just documents, but to have like pseudo-realistic object items uh, to, to, to create more immersive games. And uh, so all, all of our games uh, include uh, 
a few objects that are kind of clues, part of, uh, of the investigation. And uh, finally, another characteristic is that we, we do ARG games, ARG games, which are uh, alternate reality games. So that means that our games um, try to go outside the, outside the box, well, to, to uh, include different kinds of, of medias of, in, of the real world, like, like to uh, social networks or video online or uh, even phone calls, emails, that kind of stuff. And also that is another way of, of uh, enhancing the, the immersion of each scenario. So how do you see your background come out in your games? So yeah, I'm um, I'm a theater critic, but I'm a writer myself, and I think I've always I mean writing and creating stories and and yeah have uh, have always been uh, a, a main one of the main uh, centers of interest uh, in my life. I mean, uh, and so I think uh, what I want to do with with games is both to what I like is really the creative process. I mean, of game designing, which includes for me to try to be creative in the mechanism of the game, but also in the in really, and as I said, in the, in the writing of, of a story. So I think, yeah, it, it, it really, the, the fact that I'm, 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 I mean, I'm a writer for a living in, in, in various ways. And I also actually write, uh, I, I wrote some fiction and I, uh, so I think it all, it all uh, helps uh, in um, focusing on, on the story itself. And actually, that's also I did. I graduated also from uh, philosophy, from like a, a master's degree at the Sorbonne, like 20, 22 years ago. But I mentioned that because uh, it's also another thing that is very important for me. It's some kind of uh, almost metaphysical way of uh, view, uh, point of view about reality itself. Is for me, uh, reality is really is a fiction. Uh, reality is a fiction that we create, that each of us creates. And so games are just like a small focus on a, a, a particular space-time that is, yeah, self-containing. I mean, it's just, you know, and you, for, for a, a small amount, amount of time in a, in a fictional space, you do something else. And uh, it's a kind of metaphor for a lot of things, you know, of the real world. So it's not, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I never oppose uh, gaming or, you know, playing games uh, with the real world. It's just as real for me. It's just another kind of fiction. Um, and so I think that that whole fear of way of, th of seeing things uh, reflect on, on the kind of games I, I create. And so, of course, in games like investigation games, there is more uh, mechanisms involved and it's less philosophical than that. But for example, I also uh, worked on, um, I just actually, I just released a, a role-playing game, which is called Logos, like in Greek, Logos language, speech. And so, and it's it's actually a role-playing game about exactly what I've said about, about reality as the result of an intention that is uh, uh, expressed by words and uh, you are yeah you play like magician that um, and you, you have to uh, create uh, sentences and those like magical sentences will alter uh, reality itself so it's really um yeah it's all about the same i think the same uh, kind of concepts about uh, language stories fiction and uh, it can give games it can give yeah role playing games books uh it could be movies or whatever but i think it's the same principles that are at play there so it was very clear to us that it was an intentional decision to break legacy into these what are almost standalone games what was the creative or strategic reason behind developing an experience like that that's broken up into two separate parts? So Legacy is split in two, two episodes, two, two games. It's the same storytelling, it's the same scenario, but there are two, yeah, two parts which can be played independently. And we wanted to do that because I think it's more uh, the way that we, we, we realized players were playing uh, that kind of games, that it was way too long for most players to have, uh, you know, if, if both games were just one, it would be like, I don't know, maybe for some players more than four hours, uh, you know, if, if it, it can be even short, it can be shorter, of course, for players who are used to that kind of games and you know good at it but for most players it would be really too long and i also um 
we felt as it was it was reached two uh, period of times. I mean, the first episode is about the construction of the Eiffel Tower. So it's the late 19th century. It's a, in Paris. It's a very specific atmosphere. And the other scenario is in Greece uh, in uh, nowadays. So it's it's really you know two kinds of uh, setup, and uh, so we wanted to really split them for those uh, two reasons. And so yeah, to to have a feeling that you you had two experiences, you know, two two different experiences, even if it's the same game and the same uh, the same storytelling. Why did you decide to do games that have like mixed experiences in terms of having like in person tangibility items as well as having elements that are played through digital aspects? Uh, I think it really it really comes from my own tastes of uh, I I love fiction all kind all kind of fiction that really uh, is based on that kind of intersection between reality fiction and reality uh, like the Matrix for example but you know it could be more uh, less known uh, works of art and I think it all and and one of the actually one of the movies that really uh, uh, maybe inspired us in some ways the, is the game we know with Michael Douglas, which is an ARG game, basically, and uh, in real life. And also, I as, as a player, I had a very, very strong experience with a video game, with a French video game called In Memoriam, which was uh, quite famous in France in the early two, 2000. It was a video game where you tracked a serial killer uh, you hunted a serial killer, but you you it was ARG, so you had to send my email to, and it was very very immersive because they they had actually done something very uh, unique, which is they hired uh, a bunch of like interns to work day and nights, and so they actually answered all the players even like I, I don't know in three in the morning if you tried to reach the the serial killer once once you you had to. Track, track him. Uh, well, he would answer you even uh, in the middle of the night. So that was uh, uh, just incredible, you know, to to experience that as a as a player. And I always kept, you know, that in mind. Uh, and I always wanted to do something like that, but in in board gaming. Uh, and when I tried, I first tried escape games in 2015 or something or something like that. I felt like I wanted to mix uh, that kind of feeling and board games and investigation games. So, yeah, so I think it's uh, it's a mix of all that. And for me, it's also related to what I said about my philosophy of life, about fiction and reality, because I think that it's something that uh, we can experience even in real life. And, you know, with the the, the, the white rabbit theory, if, you, if there is a white rabbit that would maybe uh, be a clue to, to somewhere else, to a different space time, to, to the real reality. And uh, in, yeah, I've always been uh, very interested in, in the, those theories. And so designing a game that would try to yeah, experience that kind of feeling, it was uh, obvious to me. <laughs> so one thing we want to know is you, you guys at Argus Game have a bunch of other games as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the different offerings that you guys have there? So we, we have a, a line of uh, investigation games that is called Pocket Investigations, which are the same principles as Legacy, uh, or, uh, which is, so that is really uh, escaping, escaping a box, but it's smaller, lighter games. It's, they come in the form of uh, like a, an envelope you actually receive by mail, and uh, you have same kind of things with a, document, a few documents, a few objects, and an investigation to, to solve. Uh, we we have eight yeah eight different scenarios, totally different kind of uh, of, of scenarios. Like there is one with an investigation on the moon. There is another one where you in the Middle Ages with the uh, um, the Dame à la Licorne, which is a famous French tapestry. There is uh, another one about high, uh, casino heist. Uh, there is another one. About, so yeah, different kind of games, but same same concept. So that's our main uh, line of, of games. And we also uh, have developed a few other games that are not uh, investigation games, uh, uh, like abstract strategy, a small like abstract strategy to player game and uh, role-playing games. So we have, but it's more marginal compared to our main, uh, to our core uh, 
line of, of games. We also have design online games, online investigation games. Uh, we actually started that when we created our very first escape box, which was called Apocalypse. And uh, in, in 2018, and uh, at the same time, we developed uh, like a, an online version of the game, which was actually like kind of sequel to the game. And uh, it's it is still on. You can uh, actually still play it now. And it's the same principle. So it's still RG gaming. So you still have to, uh, yeah, uh, consult a lot of uh, things on the internet or uh, make phone calls and that kind of stuff. But it's based uh, online uh, online story. So what's in the future for Argix Games? Uh, you can tell us as much as you want, or none at all, um, but we are very excited to hear what is coming up next. I'm working on one big project, which will probably take some time, because it's both uh, an escape box like, like Legacy, so same kind of box, but with a twist, with something else that I can't really talk about, but there is something else. And it's actually the main uh, thing about this new project is that it's actually based on a, on a real place in France, in, in Britain, in, in uh, Brittany. I don't know, it's Britain, Brittany. You know, the west part of France. And it's about, it's a castle there that is owned by a friend of mine and uh, he's uh, restoring it. It's a huge place with a, like a forest and with a, it's, it's a, just an incredible magical place. Uh, and we are designing a, uh, some kind of story about like a legend about this place. And we, we are, we, and it's going to be something like lost, you know, in the storytelling. So a kind of space time, you don't really know where you are, you know, is it real? Is it a dream? Is it? And from that, we will, we will, develop design games and develop design other kind of things books and that are based on this place on this mythological place that is also real <laughs> and and actually we'll design games uh, that you can play uh, you know, like escape games you can play in the in the forest of the castle so so yeah it's going to be something you know that that will uh, mix different kinds of um, of uh, of games and so there will be an escape box i don't know when it's it's gonna take some time, and in in the in the meantime, I'll probably release something next year in Cannes at the International Game Festival in Cannes in late February that I can't really talk about now. But uh, it's it will be investigation game, but a more uh, minimalistic, let's say, uh, kind of uh, concept. And the question we always and want to know the answer to from everyone is, what other games are you playing? This can be at-home puzzle and mystery games, the likes of which we cover on the podcast, video games. What are you enjoying and what are you playing right now as a creator? So I really enjoyed, but it, I, I, I don't know if there's an English version, but it's a, it's a, it's a game very similar to ours uh, called Codex. Uh, but but uh, it's actually a friend of mine who created his own company and he's doing uh, not not only investigation games, but that's his first main game. Uh, it's not ARG, ARG but it's uh, otherwise it's really similar and it's a, a very, very good game. So if there's an English version, or, or maybe there will be if there's not right now at the moment because it, it, really, it was really successful here. And I also, I mean, I... I don't know. I tried a lot of games of uh, uh, similar similar games. Uh, so I, I don't know if I have like one favorite, but I really enjoy, for example, uh, what what they are doing at um, uh, Enigma Emporium. For example, I really liked. Uh, yeah, I tried. I think two or three of their of their games. At the moment, I'm I'm back because of you know we can do that again. Do real escape games. So I'm back at the. Uh, playtesting and, and doing a lot of uh, real escape games, live escape games. So, yeah. And, um, but they're, they're in, in France, so that won't be very helpful uh, for your listeners. And uh, what else? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't play much, actually, for the past uh, year and a half. I didn't play much games, so I, I'm not really up to date. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> actually. Uh, Thank you very much for having uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure, really. And uh, you, you can find information about where, about Argigs Games online at argigsgames.com. And uh, if you have, actually, we are welcoming uh, uh, prototypes or new ideas or concepts of games. If you have game designers 
we are very yeah we are very open to new concepts so we can um, discuss about that and so feel free to write write us if you have uh, any propositions of, of games or whether it's investigation games or other kind of games actually so yeah well we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show thank you thank you we look forward to getting to have you back on the show again we enjoyed playing through legacy and thanks for the opportunity to get to do that if you're looking to pick up a copy of Legacy, you can head over to argixgames.com. That's A-R-G-Y-X games.com. And you can pick up Legacy or you can pick up one of the other offerings that we talked about during our questions for creator section. As always, you can always show kindness to creators going, liking their Facebook, their other social medias, um, helping them out. Zach, how can uh, our listeners help us out? You can send me $100 at the following mailing address. <laughs> um, no. Um, but what you can do um, is if you want to show us some love, you can go to where you listen to this podcast at, if that's Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever, um, and leave us a five-star review. We'd very much appreciate it. Tell us how much you love in the podcast. And if you want to support us other than that, um, you can find us on Facebook. You can go to at Puzzling Company, or you can go to Instagram and find us at Puzzling Company. Or you can send us an email just telling us how you've been enjoying the show or leaving some, you know, a critique or what you thought we could work on as well. Because we're always excited to hear from you guys if it's good or if it's things you think we can improve on. So, Well, that is going to wrap us up for this week. Zach, what do we have next week? That's a great question. I'm actually pretty excited for next week's episode. Um, we're going to be able to get to cover some Deadbolt games. Yes, I'm pumped about this because I think this has been one of the most inspirational series to a lot of our creators. Yes. Like I, I remember multiple people saying, I picked up a Deadbolt. And man, and that, and that got me excited. And we have not had a chance yet to do that, but we're super excited to, we're going to be playing four deadbolt games, Yep, talking about them. And then we're going to get to have the owner of deadbolt on to talk about a lot of fun things. So be sure to check us out next week. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week of puzzling company. We'll see you next week for all of us here at puzzling company, which there's only two of us, me and Zach. Zach. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network.